This is Travel Wise, the travel podcast for growth-hungry entrepreneurs. Join us as we explore travel, continuous learning, and the psychology of flow. Ready for takeoff? Ask me why. Welcome, everybody, to 52 Living Ideas. This is the Flow Book Club Meetup. We are reading this book, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi's Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience. And we are already on chapter seven, which is all about flow and work. And maybe that seems like it's dull and boring, but that's even going to be the paradox that we are exploring today, how to make work enjoyable. And what is it about work that can be enjoyable and engaging? We're going to get started, though, with just a quick little recap of the book, just to remind you where we're at. So first, even just getting into what flow is. Flow is defined as that optimal state of consciousness where you feel your best and you perform your best. You might know the state as being in the zone or runner's high. It's that feeling when you're so invested in the task at hand that time seems to pass strangely and your sense of self disappears. And we got the Zoom uh, uh, slide there. Oh, here we go. There, we're back to the slide. Um, you want to go to the, the next one there? This is our graph that Maritza put together that I think perfectly encapsulates what flow is all about. There's this idea of the challenge skills balance and flow is that sweet spot when your challenges meet your skills. And there's this idea then that you want to continuously be pushing yourself and growing and expanding your challenges so that you stay in this upward rising flow channel. And here's just a quick recap of the chapters before. Chapter one was an introduction to happiness and getting us to rethink what happiness is all about. Chapter two gave us an introduction to consciousness and specifically attention and intention and why that's necessary for a flow state. In chapter three, we really went through the different conditions that make up a flow state. I'll just go through these really quickly that you need clear goals, immediate feedback, the challenge skills balance. You have that experience where action and awareness seem to merge and you're not distracted and that your sense of self disappears and time seems to pass strangely and the activity is experienced as an end in itself. You have that real intrinsic motivation and that's going to be a big topic that we're going to talk about today. Then we talked a little bit more about the conditions of flow. We had a whole meetup about the body in flow. Last session was about the flow of thought. And let's just jump right in and get to this week's, which is all about flow and work. And just so you know, Maritza is going to give you a copy of the slides so you can download this and go through it on your own time and, you know, go through anything that you might find interesting that we just quickly pass through here in this presentation. But we're starting with this quote where 
MC says, it is true that if one finds flow in work and in relations with other people, one is well on the way toward improving the quality of life as a whole. And this line actually, I think, is even a teaser for next week, because next week is going to be all about flow in our relationships with other people and also how to find flow in solitude. But this week, we're focused all about flow and work. And MC points out that work is an integral part of every person's life. And it does, for many people, take up a huge chunk of our time. So how can we think about taking work and turning it into something that is enjoyable, something that makes our lives richer, something that expands the complexity of ourselves and allows us to live a deeper, more meaningful, more flourishing life overall. And then I'll just read the last bullet point here. I think this is a really important one, which says, the key to enjoyment at work is flow and intrinsic motivation, which is supported by extrinsic motivation. And that is what we're gonna be spending a lot of time, I think, talking about today is how to find that intrinsic motivation and then maybe even how to set up aspects of your environment extrinsically that will help you find this motivation. Did, did you want to say anything about just that introduction for this one yet, Maritza, before we get into the different subsections? Um, no, I think um, you point, I would have pointed out that constant, that last bullet as well and how important the intrinsic motivations are, but you already took care of it. All right, then let's go to the different subsections then. So first we talked about autotelic workers and what it can be when you are the employee. So something we're, we're gonna end up talking about today is even thinking about the employer-employee relationship, the culture perhaps of an office or your workplace. But even just as the employee from, from that position, as, as the person who is the worker, or maybe if you're not an, an employee, um, like personally, I'm an entrepreneur. I think there might be other people here who are freelancers. There might even be other, I know there's people in the group who are retired and maybe even thinking about how you still find purposeful work. There, there's a real way in which work doesn't even necessarily have to be the thing that you do to make money. Work can be the thing that you do that gives you purpose and helps you connect and contribute. So we're going to think about work in all of these broad ways. But even from the perspective of you as the worker, how is it that you can become what MC calls an autotelic worker? As he says here, uh, individuals possessing an autotelic personality undertake their work not to provide short-term stimulation and gratification. They do so in pursuit of long-term, often lifetime expression of intrinsic goals. They engage in their work for the primary purpose of personal enjoyment and challenge. And I love that he points out that this is something that theoretically we all can do. We can develop an autotelic personality and then have more experiences to flow through our work. Did you want to chime in? Yes, um, I just would like to uh, point out to um, you guys that um, in the chapter, 
on uh, the conditions of flow, we spoke a little bit more in depth about the autotelic personality. And um, in my notes here, I had written down what autotelic means. So I wanna share that with you guys again, just as a reminder, because I think it's timely to understand that autotelic means having an end or purpose in and of itself. So that perfectly aligns with this concept of intrinsic motivation. So you are motivated from within, not from without. But what we're acknowledging here, this is like the first step. You have to be motivated from within, and then we're gonna move forward and tell you, yes, however, everything externally also plays a role here. And another important thing to mention here is that if one is not naturally autotelic, one can build it as though it were just another skill in one's toolbox. And one more thing that, that you have here on the slide that might be worth mentioning for especially everyone in the group who got involved in the exploration of Taoism, because that was even kind of what you were getting at in your quote here and thinking about perhaps how flow contrasts with or is related to some of the Eastern traditions of philosophy. And he points out in this chapter that on one level, you could perhaps see a contrast between flow and some of these Eastern traditions, because flow is all about being so engaged in the task at hand, where perhaps the Eastern tradition suggests that the ideal is to ultimately transcend that. But perhaps in another way, these really are more connected. And th this line probably suggests maybe how you could find that connection that, as he points out here, that by the gradual focusing of attention on the opportunities for action in one's environment, which results in perfection of that skills, which becomes so thoroughly automatic as to seem spontaneous and otherworldly. So there is perhaps a way in which Flo is suggesting here that we can use our conscious minds, our attention to as he says here, gradually focus and perhaps just gradually incrementally challenge ourselves. Uh, Stephen Kotler, who writes about flow, even has this idea of the 4%. You're, maybe even just by aiming to get 4% harder, challenging yourself just that little bit more, that that's what helps you develop skills. And then once those skills become automatized, then you have this experience of they seem spontaneous and it might seem or feel like a quantum leap, even though there was this process. The next subsection got into thinking about autotelic jobs and the point that's made here right at the very top that I almost see it as a challenge that MC gives us that any job could be changed to make it more enjoyable by following the flow model, which to me, that, that might be even a challenge that we might wanna think about with the jobs that all of us here are pursuing. What are the ways that we can take the work that we do? And maybe again, this doesn't even necessarily be the thing that we have, we're, do, we're doing to have to make money. It could even be our jobs in terms of things like housework or just other, kinds of tasks of daily life and what are the ways that we can take work and add these elements of flow to make it 
a more enjoyable experience and something that we can approach with intrinsic motivation. I feel like the last bullet here also needs um, some emphasis because I think it's kind of the key thought that we're being given in this section. It says to improve the quality of life through work, two complementary strategies are necessary. On the one hand, jobs should be redesigned so that they resemble as closely as possible flow activities, but it will also be necessary to help people develop autotelic personalities by training them to recognize opportunities for action, to hone their skills, to set reachable goals. Neither of these strategies is likely to work, I'm sorry, to make work much more enjoyable by itself. In combination, they should contribute enormously to optimal experience. The strategies are meant to complement each other and work in conjunction. It's a little bit wordy and I feel like the, the absolute part of it does get a little bit buried, but basically what he's saying is it's not an either or approach, which is kind of exciting because we, you know, those of us who've been walking together, we've seen this before and, and we do this idea where conversion upon a thought process that in our life, we have to embrace the yes and so this again is pointing out that very fact to you. There, it takes more than one strategy to come up with a more ideal path forward. And this is my personal favorite section in this whole chapter, which is thinking about the paradox of work. And this, first bullet point here that there's a paradoxical situation. On the job, people feel skillful and challenged and therefore feel more happy, strong, creative, and satisfied. In their free time, people feel that there is generally not much to do and their skills are not being used and therefore they tend to feel more sad, weak, dull, dissatisfied. Yet, most people report that they would like to work less and spend more time in leisure. And leisure is one of those terms that's just a bugbear for me and my work. So you might know that I own a travel agency and part of the status quo of the travel industry that really frustrates me is what I perceive as a false dichotomy between and even as consumers of travel, you probably all know that the way the travel industry thinks about travel is they divide it between business, corporate travel, and what's called leisure travel. And I'm really passionate in thinking about, can we get beyond that model to perhaps the flow model of thinking about travel? Something that combines something that would be like work, that is developing your skills, that is pursuing your purpose, that is grounded in goals and intrinsic motivation and developing a more complex self. And combining that also with the elements of relaxation and the, uh, the kinds of enjoyment of going to new places, taking a break from the routine, experiencing things that are novel, new, rich environments, so it's one of my own personal challenges is to think about how we can integrate flow with travel to make travel experiences 
more deep, more rich, more enjoyable. And I, I want to think about maybe how we can create a kind of virtuous spiral where travel can help us get into flow and flow can help us be more productive and that can lead us to have even better travel experiences which can then maybe lead us to have better work experiences and really creating a life where there is a kind of real work life balance integration through flow where we are just you know combining peak performance and optimal experience i was really um kind of um, taken by the, the fact that so much research supports this um, or shines a spotlight on this paradox. The idea that, you know, we're just convinced that we need to be unhappy at work. It's kind of sad. Or, um, or that, you know, leisure time is not as enjoyable because we just, we think, you know, getting the time off of work, that's it, we're done. No further planning required. I, I, I think, it's a matter of, again, the idea of intention. If we approach our leisure time with intention, perhaps we'll find ourselves to be less dissatisfied. I think what is shown here in so much of this research is that leisure time is viewed as something that just happens. If we view it as an a passive situation, well, then we are naturally going to find ourselves not as satisfied as we could be because there's that sense of lack of control. If instead we, we view leisure time as an opportunity for intentionally embarking upon something, anything, I think that would, that would go a long way in allowing us the ability to shift our perspective and maybe you know work on chipping away at this year paradox. That's all I had for that. Yeah, no, that's great. And then this is the last subsection here. And then we have an addition that Maritza found to guess thinking even more about this chapter, but the last actual subsection in the chapter is about this idea of the waste of free time. The quote here at the top, mass leisure, mass culture, and even high culture when only attended to passively and for extrinsic reasons, such as the wish to flout one status, are parasites of the mind. And again, I think this is exactly what Maritza was just getting into, that I see that what he's saying here is when there is this lack of intention, there is this lack of intrinsic motivation that when you're only just you know, kind of going about things for extrinsic reasons, that I love his phrase here, that becomes a parasite of the mind. And then at the bottom bullet point here, I just want to make sure we read this one, which says, unless a person takes charge of them, both work and free time are likely to be disappointing. Most jobs and many leisure activities are not designed to make us happy and strong. And I think a lot of us in this group have been thinking a lot about the concept of design and what it means to design a life in terms of you know, even going beyond that. But how can we think about designing our time? our work time and our 
free time to make the most of it. Right. As I was talking, I realized I was kind of jumping forward a little bit. Sorry, guys. Um, but it, they kind of they flow together, right? The mm-hmm. concept of um, the paradox of work. I mean, paradoxes with the idea of free time. And um, I, I really do. I, I, I'm with Joya. I love the idea of calling it parasites of the mind because it creates for us a vision of an undesired villainous externality, as it were, when that is to be avoided at all, all costs. I don't know about you guys, but I try to avoid parasites. So we, we seem to think that many things that are passive are not harmful. And this just points out to you that it's not necessarily true because if you are seeking forward movement, these waste things are the enemy towards that forward movement. If you are passively allowing your free time to tick away, you are squandering precious moments for improvement of yourself and your surroundings. And I really do believe that that's what we're being told here. You know, they, they try to say it a little nicer and a little kinder, but I, I really think that's the heart of what's being said to us here, that we are squandering our lives, ourselves. And you're certainly not on that good, meaningful path whenever you find yourself just passively wading water, treading water, treading water, sorry. All right, so Joya, I'm going to move us forward to the next, unless you have a and last Your point, point here that treading water is, oh, wait, I, I was just going to pick up on something you were saying and say that that treading water is ultimately dis- destructive, that stagnation is a kind of destruction, even when you think about what a parasite is, it feeds off of what, you know, what you've created and the, the health that is there and brings you from a healthy to an un healthy state. And there is a real way in which there's there's a phrase in flow about the more flow you get, the more flow you get, that when you get into a flow state, it can give you that momentum to create more and more flow. And there's kind of almost compound interest effect of how this can expand throughout your life and, and have all sorts of positive benefits. And the flip side of that is that when you get off of that, that it's not nearly just stagnation, but as he suggests here, a real parasite that's going to hinder and destroy everything good that you've built up. Absolutely. It's, it's like this last bullet says, unless a person takes charge of them and, and them, we're, been, we're talking right in this moment about free time, but it says them. So the key here is take charge of both your work and your free times to make them and wield them in a manner that is most beneficial to you. And in that light, the next couple slides are going, we're going off script. script. Mm-hmm. I went rogue a little bit. And this is not in the book. I felt that this chapter was lacking in that it did not address the employee to employer relationship. So in other words, 
how do we consider flow from the perspective of an organization and or an employee? If you yourself are the leader or the manager, or you're, you know, if you have any direct reports under you, this is gonna to pertain to you. If you don't have direct reports under you, it pertains to you on the other side. So the Frontiers in Psychology group, they have a, a .org website and they have been doing all this research and it's culminated in this amazing article, which is like pages and pages and pages. So I did not post all of that. I managed, however, to condense most of the information into four slides. So if you guys will bear with me, I will try to plow through this but you are most welcome to grab it, grab the document from the link I provided. If you don't see the link or you have any trouble, reach out to me, I will happily send it your way. So, all right, so I'm starting you off here. This, I don't know how many of you are familiar with human resources management, that's HRM. Um, here we're, in, we're, this might be a new concept for some of you, it was for me, high involvement human resources management. We're talking about getting involved with your employees. Again, active, not passive. And this, what we're showing here is that we believe that success in work starts with, not starts, but must include human resources department. Management should help their employees achieve the flow state. That's the long and short of all these words on this slide are exactly that, that we organizations should employ high involvement human resources management practices to aid in both individual and group. Oh, I put grow, that should be group, sorry guys. Group workflow states. There are five practices that we're gonna talk about here in more detail. Recognition, empowerment, information sharing, fair rewards, and cap competence development. Now these align quite nicely, we don't have it here, but they align quite nicely with several of the standard concepts identified when we're talking specifically about group flow. So that's kind of exciting. There are two other terms here that we're going to go into a little more detail, affective commitment and emotional intelligence. Those are, these are all tools that an organization or management person or staff should use to help enable flow state. Because what we're saying here and what's most enticing to me about this research is that the research aligns with those things, those slides that came before. Research is saying that by human resources, focusing on these practices, they put the employee in a better position to enter into the flow state. And why do you care when you're a manager whether or not your employees are in the flow state? What do you care? Why? Because it's better for your business. Your people will be more effective. Your business will run smoother and it will grow faster when your employees are in a flow state. So that's a real life practice. It's a real life example, as it were, to you guys of why we care at all. Why are we going through this book? Joya, did you want to jump in here before I move to the next? 
I'll just summarize and say that what I see here is, you know, they're, they're using these fancy terms like high involvement, human resources management. I think all you really have to take away from this is that this is how flow applies to HR. And we're going to talk about their the corporate words they're going to use to describe some of these things, recognition, empowerment, information sharing, fair rewards, competence development. But we're going to see these are the flow triggers that we've already been discussing many of these and just how we can actually apply this in a corporate setting. And I agree. I think it's fascinating that the research is just backing up everything that MC started talking about way back in 1990 when he had this book. I do like graphs, so I could not resist providing you guys with this visual. <laughs> you and Srikant, <laughs> always gotta have a diagram. They're, fa they're fantastic. Mm -hmm. So what, what is this showing you? So all the words from before and all the words that will come after, they're all summed up here. You know, the, what are the practices? Recognition, empowerment, information sharing, fair rewards, competence development. I love this well-being focused motive. I, I really love that phrase, well-being focused motive. That's just yet another way of saying intentional action. I really think that it all just goes into there. These tools here are, well, I'm sorry, these are the tools and these are additional intrinsic things that help propel you forward to flow state. In this slide, they call it work-related flow. Actually, they call it work-related flow throughout the entire um, the article, but it does, um, it does actually, you know, work-related flow, it's the same thing as flow state. At least, you know, as you read it, it's very ob obvious. We're all connected. You cannot, consider things solely at an organizational level because you, you cannot improve the individual without the active involvement of several human resource items within an organization. We're gonna delve into these practices just a little bit more in depth here. Um, yeah, I know there's a lot of words in this slide. I tried really hard to get it down, <laughs> but this gives you what are we talking about when we say recognition, empowerment, information sharing, fair rewards, competence development? These are the definitions um, that I, these are mine, but they're not really mine. They're, they're my um, synopsizing of the article. And the, the interesting thing is that you can take any of these and you don't have to only apply them to a work group situation. They can be applied to any type of a grouping of individuals, as it were. Um, so I'm not gonna go ahead and read all of these to you, but I, I do wanna point out that all of these basically are about invoking a specific emotion within your employee. And the reason being is that you as an organization or you as a manager 
you cannot wave a magic wand over the head of your employee and force them to enter into a flow state. You cannot, and there's no actual guideline for inducing flow state. These here tools that you see on the screen, these are methodologies that you can employ to remove negative aspects from your employees. And in so doing, put them in an emotional state where they can find flow channel on their own. You are removing barriers to flow as a manager, as an organization, because you yourself cannot um, force them into flow. In fact, all, as important, important as these five are, if you force them, you create the exact opposite reaction. So that's almost as important. And I didn't actually write it here, but I would like to note, as you look at these and you're seeing all the benefits of employing these as an organization or as a manager, it's so important to realize if you force somebody to do competence development, if you force them beyond their skill set, now you're causing a negative imbalance and you're pushing them out of flow state. If you create rewards that you believe are fair, but you fail to account for certain parameters that make them grossly in, unfair, again, opposite, the opposite reaction of what you're hoping for is going to happen. So, so that's the cautionary word I would like to mention here, just like um, MC mentions to us in earlier chapters, how anything in excess can become addictive. You know, there's a negative aspect. So it's all about balance. Even as an organization or as a manager, you do have to find a balance. You want to empower your employees, but you don't want them to feel that they're being forced to do everything on their own, you know? So, so that's, you wanna share information, but you don't wanna overwhelm them with data. I'm gonna move on to our last. Oops, sorry, I just jump ahead. in and share one thing here. So I just even wanted to connect this a little bit to group flow, which is something we haven't really talked about here yet. And actually it's something that comes beyond the book we're talking about. It's, it's really one of MC's graduate students, Keith Sawyer, I believe is his name, who really went on to, to start to develop the idea of group flow. And then a lot of work has been done in that. But some of these are some of the flow triggers that we already recognize even from this book. So for example, recognition, I think this ties in clearly with the idea of immediate feedback that we've already been talking about. Empowerment links to, in group flow, we talk about autonomy and sense of control. It's really fascinating that when you're in a group, that the best way to achieve group flow is you, you simultaneously need to make sure everybody has autonomy and sense of control. Although then there is, that's combined with having shared goals and a shared sense of risk. And then that I think even leads us into this idea of information sharing, that uh, there's also this, an idea of a kind of equal participation that even though people are perhaps doing different things in the organization that every role is vital and every 
every node in the organization is crucial and important. And then so there needs to be that sense of participation. And again, fair rewards, that, that same sense of having the meaning that's connected to that. And then competence development, I see is just another name for what we've been talking about already with the challenge skills balance and making sure we're in that flow channel. Really like that in the the point you just made about the um, individual nodes all being connected. I like mm -hmm. that. All right. So this uh, last slide, we're just I just wanted to highlight two concepts that are mentioned um, a little bit here, but you see them. Oops, sorry, you see them here, right? There, these are tools that they're a role regardless of any organizational motive. And they're both individual and they can be at their organizational level, right? And they're not really concepts that you come across on the day to day. Affective commitment is a happiness related construct associated with the experiencing, I'm sorry, with experiencing a positive effect that has meaningful outcomes for the individuals and organizations. I mean, that sounds an awful lot like flow to me. And, you know, so that's why I wrote in here that flow experience is also a happiness related construct. But flow is an intense state of positive behavior with the highest intensity of involvement. So looking at those two bullets, it really does make such simple sense that if an organization manager, employer, can somehow induce affective commitment from their employees, they are empowering them to enter into a flow state on their own. So that, that's where I believe this is vital to the model that's identified here for us from an organizational perspective. And then emotional intelligence is something that we're probably a little bit more familiar with uh, that one, you know, that one gets thrown about a little more often in various different scenarios. So here we're defining emotional intelligence as competency in perceiving, understanding, and regulating our own emotions and the emotions of others. And the question is, why do I care all that terribly much about somebody's emotional intelligence if they're working for me? because everything is connected. And because the, the decision-making, decision developing and strengthening of relationships is vital for this group flow concept, right? And as an organization or a manager, you want cohesion. The level of co cohesion will change and differ from organization to organization you know, it depends on what your organization looks like, but some level of cohesion is your desired goal because you want efficiency, you want productivity. And what we're saying here is that ignoring the emotional component of your employees is a barrier to this efficiency and this productivity. Why? Because we're all emotional animals at our very core. You cannot ignore it and hope that it just never rears its ugly head 
because that's not going to work. All right, so are we ready then to go on to breakout rooms? Yes, unless you want to see if anyone has any clari clarifying questions. I don't know if we've confused them here. <laughs> Do you want to take a few clarifying questions really quickly before we jump into breakout? Sure, Maybe. so yeah, if anybody wants to ask a question about the presentation, you can raise your hand, type exclamation point in the chat. Otherwise just, we will give you a question. And right, we'll and this is just to clarify the presentation. Um, we'll do lightning round questions, you know, like we usually do after the um, breakout. Okay, folks, about 30 seconds more. Raise your hand if you want to. I'm going to post the presentation again for those who didn't get it when they came in and if not well I'm seeing no I think we've got an amazingly bright group and they all no we didn't lose anybody so that's exciting so let's move on to the breakout rooms so the question we have for you all today it gets back to this idea of the paradox of work and I just wanted to read this one quote from the book here MC says the results of their study showed that people wish to be doing something else to a much greater extent when working than when at leisure. And this regardless of whether they were in flow. In other words, motivation was low at work even when it pro provided flow. And it was high in leisure even when the quality of experience was low. Thus, we have the paradoxical situation. On the job, people feel skillful and challenged and therefore feel more happy, strong, creative, and satisfied. In their free time, people feel that there is generally not much to do and their skills are not being used. And therefore they tend to feel more sad, weak, dull, and dissatisfied. Yet they would like to work less and spend more time in leisure. And then he asked, what does this contradictory pattern mean? And that's the question we'd like you to think about. Why do you think there is this paradox? And maybe what are some of the things that you can do to overcome it? Looks like everybody's starting to come back. Hello, we're back. Picked up a couple of newcomers along the way. Now it's time for our lightning round of best questions. So hopefully all the different groups had some really provocative, thoughtful conversations. And this is your opportunity to bring to the table your best question. Uh, maybe something that came out of the group discussion or just something that's been on your own mind as you've been thinking about what we've been discussing in this chapter. So if you would like to ask a question, you can type exclamation point in the chat box or raise your hand. There's the reaction button there. You can raise your hand to ask a question. We have Judith yep. first. You see, okay, you see. Yeah, Judith is coming in first. Okay, um, we had a really interesting discussion um, in our group. Um, I, I was speaking with uh, Kevin and Shay and some of the things that were coming up and they both um, brought different angles and maybe they will want to chime in if I don't say things completely or correctly. But um, we were talking about um, that 
you know, all of us discussing here about, you know, the importance of um, how we spend our work and leisure, uh, we have the luxury to do that because we have the time resource to spend two hours right now. We have, you know, the technology resource. Um, there are so many people that don't have that. So the, so, um, and then Shay, coming from a European background, was bringing up that um, in Europe, um, work doesn't um, enter into the leisure life the way it does in the United States, where you're expected to answer texts, and emails, work, things like that. So those are the two, like, well, I don't want to say extremes, really. I just, I, so what I'm trying to understand, so... And then uh, well, what I was bringing up was that, you know, th there are places in the world where people have less resource, time and, and uh, financial and food and all the things that we think are needed, um, then some, not, not the poorest homeless people here, but, but many people here. And, um, and yet their quality of lives are richer and better sometimes, perhaps because of family. I don't know, we could probably identify that, but, or try to, but um, so I'm trying to like understand. So when you considered these different perspectives coming from different angles, from coming from different strata, economic strata, if you want to call that, or, or cultural, how, how do we address flow in a, fair way when we try to find the things that would mitigate is it fair to say oh it's your responsibility to enjoy you know like because I kind of was thinking like that it's my responsibility to um what attitude I bring to everything that I do at work and at leisure but for me to say hey you know just look that's you it's your responsibility now you go figure it out doesn't really take into account everything that's involved in and what gives us um, those opportunities to appreciate flow. Thank you. So would it be fair to phrase this as uh, how do we address flow across different cultural approaches to work and free time? Not just cultural approaches, just cultural conditions really that- Cultural are, conditions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Got it. Did anybody else from that group want to chime in on Judith's question? Yeah, I can chime in. Thank you, Judy. Actually, she's already uh, a nice uh, familiar uh, question from our group. Yeah, for me, yeah, it's culture, con condition, and a personal condition and the community, the timing scale, let's see, uh, generation scale, it used to be how work hard, let's see how is work hard, let's see, generation before what can we consider is a, a good value, right? And how about now, it's possible it's a, it's a different scenario. scenario. And they, I, I share one is from story I share a group. It's one accountant. Oh no, it's she's from work for call center. She and her husband work one apartment, but her husband got a disease, cancer. 
then during the cure the uh, med med medical, she spent all, all the money. So out uh, her husband passed away. She lost her you, know, her, you know, rental apartment. Then she become homeless because she used to be stay at home, kind of do a call center job remotely, but she cannot. It's happening in US. Also now I see that the master degree of mathematics, I cannot believe she used to be do a data analysis, but she lost, become homeless. So obviously fundamentally, obviously we, find a root cause, like for example, for US, should we have a basic living standard? Mm -hmm. The first one, basically like um, if anybody fall back, can we hardly pick up? They just cannot, uh, even for that lady, for example, she got to the interview next day, where to shower? That becomes question. It's unbelievable, you know, it's, it's, we normally, we cannot imagine this. For example, she was going to, let's see, uh, remote uh, interview. Where's computer? Where's data? Where's place? So it's all, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit upset that from, from that angle, paradox of work, I would say, maybe opposite. I need work, get my money, then have plenty uh, leisure time. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. So maybe we can turn this into a question, maybe in the form of, um, you know, how do we guarantee a certain basic uh, living standard or, or certain working conditions so yeah. that people then are, are able to get into flow? Right. I see that angle from flow as a society. Like, let's see if you have community, let's see, oh, the homeless got a chance. Okay, for interview place. I'm going to offer that, you know, that's community mm -hmm. sort of start mm -hmm. from the bottom up. Like what do we talk about from middle to the top? It, thank you. All right. Putting together some good questions here. Would anybody else like to contribute a question? Let's see, it looks like Sharon is next and then Jyoti after that. So I asked this question in our small group and no one had an answer. I'm wondering, are there any companies that um, demonstrate this flow that you and Maritza described in the HR function? <laughs> Straightforward, right? But good question. Thinking about what are maybe some examples of companies that help produce a flow state. Now, do you, do you want answers to some of these questions or you're going to wait? We're going to get to that first. We're going to get, okay. we're going to go through, put together the list of questions and then we'll go through and try to give a whole bunch Got of it. answers in a lightning round fashion. Did, did you want to contribute a question, Andrew? Or are you going to wait for the answer section? No, no, thank you. Okay. So then next we've got Jyoti. Okay. My, <laughs> my um, question is related to what Kevin just said. Uh, what he said resonates very well with me because what he's saying is that um, uh, whether it's cultural thing or what, even I was raised like that, that you, when you are working, you know, when you, uh, you when you work, you work hard. When you play, you, you, you play hard. Mm -hmm. And um, is there anything wrong? That's my question. Um, if you are um, maintaining flow with your consistent with your value system, 
like this is the value that I we were brought up with, Kevin and I. And uh, we, I think I was fairly good in maintaining a flow during my working days, even though many people found me working extremely hard. But to me, because it was consistent with my value system, I didn't look at it that way. I, th I thought I was in flow. Mm -hmm. That's my question. So um, see, can we maybe phrase this in terms of like, how, how do you... How can you work hard and play hard and be in flow? Yeah, I think that would be fair. Yeah. Okay. All right. Any other questions or we will start to try to see if people have answers. So why don't we then even get started with the, the first question here, um, which was the, the, the question about, Judith's question about um, how do we address flow across different cultural approaches and different cultural conditions um, so that we, we have flow in our work and our free time. And I think it's fascinating that we, we clearly have people who come here from a wide variety of different cultural backgrounds where the conditions are are different so maybe there's even something to to share from your your cultural background all right Josie's got an answer for this one mostly I don't think flow should be like a rule a uniform rule across the board I think it should be a very individualistic thing uh, what I might find flow in, you may not find flow in that. So to say that across the board, across the cultural conditions and what have you, we should have one particular definition of flow and everybody should meet the criteria of that flow. Uh, that would not be right and that would not be fair. That's my answer. <laughs> Thank you, Jyoti. I'm going gonna, gonna to jump in here for a moment. Um, so we have been walking through here together all these several weeks, viewing flow as the state in which people are so involved in an activity that nothing else seems to matter. The experience itself is so enjoyable that people will do it even at great cost. Flow is another way of saying you're in the zone. So to achieve flow, you need realistic goals. Your skills should match the opportunities for action. And you should have complete focus on the activity. When we look at it from those, from that perspective, and we ask ourselves, how do we look at flow across cultural divides. There's no one answer, but because it's going to be, it's gonna look different for each person because the way in which I get into zone cannot possibly be the same way in which Joya gets into zone because we're different people. Those things which intrigue me may not do it for Joya. And that is true whether or not Joya is from 
you know, the continent of America, the North Americas or, or of Africa, or it's immaterial. The cultural divide, at least as I view it, dissolves when we consider that flow is a personal experience for each person. If you're looking at group flow, the answer changes, right? Now if we're considering group flow, well then we have to restructure our answer. And actually I'm gonna let Joya tackle. I'm totally cheating. I'm putting her on the spot, Joya. <laughs> I'm letting you um, tackle. Actually, I have one, one other question. Somebody just messaged me that they were going to ask a question but the Zoom wasn't working for them. Can I add this question very quickly to, um, and then I'll ask you if you can answer that mm -hmm. first question. So this, the question here on the table is, is capitalism destroying the autotelic personality or is capitalism a barrier to development of an autotelic personality? It's a fantastic question, by the way. Thanks. Mm -hmm. That's from Anika. Um, so I just wanted to throw that one out there. I just got it in a text, they, they couldn't zoom it. Um, but I would love to hear some of your thoughts on the concept of flow across cultural divides if we're looking at it from a group perspective. Because mm -hmm. in my mind, from an individual perspective, cultural divide is a non-factor. Um, yeah, I, I definitely answer that. It looks though like uh, Jack raised his hand or put the exclamation point in flow. So maybe he has an answer to share here first. Yeah, so I agree with um, everything Maritza just said. Um, the only thing that, I mean, so I'm trying to think about like a universal application, of, you know, um, as it relates to flow to perhaps not all individuals, but I, I think that there is something that, that um, um, kind of uh, distracts us or, or stops, you know, a lot of people from getting into flow as it relates to work, which, you know, we're, we're focusing on work as flow, right, in this chapter. And um, so I think like Chitsemi High kind of touches on this on, on, at the bottom of page 144. And this might also address the question that, that was being posed, um, you know, as we were going into, into the individual group sessions. Um, so he says the achievement that set civilized nations apart from the most primitive, such as the pyramids, the Great Wall of China, the Taj Mahal, and the temples and palaces and dams of antiquity were usually built with the energy of slaves forced to realize their rulers' ambitions. Not surprisingly, work uh, acquired a rather poor reputation. So, um, you know, I think that like one of the things that kind of stops a lot of people from, from getting enjoyment or, or thinking about the idea of flow in work is that they, their perception of work in general um, is seen as they're providing a service for you know people in power or people above them um and the, so they there's a loss of joy or a loss of potential happiness there and and it's just a perception thing it's not really even something that's like objectively real it's it's more of a, an imagined reality from the individual's perspective so how to allow for more flow you know cross cultures or i think like culturally the idea that we are, you know, in, in a lot of cases, I'm not saying all, but in a lot of cases, there's a cultural like view on work that's been passed on from generation to generation. Um, that work is seen as almost like a slave or a 
you know, a, a thing you have to do in order to survive, but it's not something that you really gain joy or enjoyment from. So I think like that paradigm shift or that perception change uh, on a cultural basis could allow for more flow to happen. Thanks for sharing. Um, it looks like Judith wants to say something. Judith, like you, you wrote something here in the chat. Maybe you even want to say that, and then it looks like maybe you have something else to add. Yeah, actually, I wanted to say something different than what I wrote. Um, what did I want to say? Um, I don't know. I'll put my hand up again. I did have something. It just slipped. I'm sorry. Did you want to just even um, say quickly what you put in the chat there? Comment on that. Well, I just said that um, it's it's um, this cultural thing, you know, like people just have to have their basic needs met. Um, that's, I think, almost like what um, Maritza put in, in, you know, in in a industry structure in a kind of a company where you want to make sure that you know you have these certain elements is probably what she was getting at. So in a society too, like if you want to have a thriving society, you want to have um, everyone have an opportunity for flow, oh, which reminds me of what I wanted to say, actually. <laughs> um, so what I wanted to add to that is that I, I feel like in our education system, or, you know, it's a cultural thing, so I don't know how to address it other than education system, like, um, but as a community, if we somehow could develop the, um, the idea that uh, we have agency to create our lives. Like you had used some words that I, I liked, you know, that I was thinking too, you know, um, like we design, we design our lives, our leisure lives. We can even design our attitude toward our work lives, you know. Well, as long as we have those basic needs met, you know, I, I had shared a story in, in the um, breakout group that um, there was a cashier at a grocery store who over some amount of time, you know, when I went there just for weekly groceries, she would have such a pleasant nature and she would just notice things about me. If I came in with my daughter, she would say something of it. She eventually, through these, you know, one minute um, exchanges, learned a lot about me. I didn't learn very much about her. She did this to all the customers. Everybody knew her. She knew everything about everybody and she enjoyed her work. And well, I mean, like, I guess only she could say that, but um, she, she seemed to really enjoy her work. She enjoyed interacting with people. She just had a wonderful attitude. Um, so if, um, you know, of course, all kinds of things can be going on in our lives where we can't maybe bring that to our lives all the time. So that's one, another thing. But, but if we can, you know, if, we, if things aren't that rough in our lives that we can just, you know, say, hey, this is where I am now. Let, let me bring, you know, my best side and make the most of this. And, and um, it does have a snowballing effect, I think, throughout our lives. So I think if we taught our children, like even when they were in school, like, hey, find something that you like, not find something because you have to get a job and you're going to have to earn an income all the time, you know, like something... Maybe you do have to earn an income, but maybe you also want to learn something that that you're going to enjoy. We do that with music, art, whatever, but like um, encourage it more than what is generally we were saying, you know, this this culture with passive activities, you know, music or whatever is done on on, um, you know, the social media or TV, whatever it is, 
right? Um, is, is much more passive than taking up something that, that, that you choose to challenge yourself. And so if that could be something, because I mean, it is cultivated in, and it, is, it takes a certain amount of energy to get it started, as I think you pointed out, um, but once it's started, it has an inertia of itself, right? Um, and, and just like passivity has its own inertia that we have to overcome. So those are things that could be started young. And, and if it's cultivated in families, you know, that's great, but um, sometimes families need help and it has to be a community thing. And that's why I bring in education. Thank you. Um, so I'll answer. So a bunch of things came up here. Lots of really good thoughts. So to circle back even to what Marisa was talking about and, and thinking about how flow might apply, especially in group flow settings in different cultures. I want to start by saying one of the things I've always found really fascinating about MC's work is that he really embarked on a quite ambitious cross-cultural research project. And in identifying flow really hit on something that I believe is a kind of true human universal, which doesn't mean that it's exactly the same for everyone, for every individual across cultures. And that, that is the fascinating thing about flow, kind of exactly what Maritza was saying, that what each one of us as, as an individual will find to be a flow activity will be different across different individuals. And then as we're thinking about individuals, we're, we're even thinking about the ways that we've accepted the, the cultural values of the, the cultures that we are in and how that makes us who we are. And then how do we think about that when we are creating groups? It's fascinating to me that these conversations even come up when we might talk about something like a work culture, that often what's even happening in a job is that you are creating, and I think maybe this is going to get to one of the, the questions about companies that do this, but, but perhaps some of the best companies are already thinking very proactively about designing a culture, the way that that might even transcend any of the perhaps national cultures that are out there, but to create a culture around shared goals and shared values so that by entering into this particular company, you are agreeing to and embracing the sh shared culture that is being created just for that particular company. I also definitely wanted to comment on what, what Judith has been talking about here and, and thinking about um, you know, how, how we get our basic needs met and, and, and how that's kind of um, you know, a condition for, for flow. So another thing that's fascinating to me about MC's work, when you see the, the, the tradition or history in philosophy that he's coming from. So one of the people who was very influential on MC and came slightly before MC is Abraham Maslow. Probably know for his theory of self-actualization, and he has the whole um, hierarchy of needs pyramid, and some of the most interesting research. So one of the the current scholars and researchers who's doing a lot of really good work in flow is this researcher named Scott Barry Kaufman, who came out not that long ago with a great book called Transcend, in which he's really trying to go back to Maslow and and 
kind of mine Maslow and think about how we take Maslow forward into the 21st century. And he makes this great point in the book about going above and beyond what you might've known of the Maslow pyramid. He pointed out that that idea never actually, that pyramid that may have all seen the graph of never actually, apparently according to his research even appeared in Maslow's work. That was people who came after him who were trying to think about how to graphically represent Maslow's ideas. But uh, SBK as he's often called, came up with his own diagram of how to think about how we reach these transcendent self-actualized experiences. And so he even loves the model of a sailboat. And so you might think of what a boat looks like, that there's gonna be the hull of the boat and then the sail coming off of it. And he kind of thinks of the hull as representing security. And that I, I have to look it up to make sure that I was gonna get it right. Like what he sees that we need there in you know, the part there that's in the water, he talks about safety, connection and self-esteem as these kind of the, the needs of the, the actual boat. And then for the sail, he talks about exploration, love, and purpose. And that the journey of self-actualization is not like climbing up a mountain, he says, but it's more like sailing through the stormy waters. And there is an important point. I mean, I, one of the, the points that he makes even in that book is that, and we've clearly seen examples of this throughout history, of people who have lived through some of the worst experiences that we know of in, in human history in terms of basic conditions of life security, um, but but still are able to, to have a sense of purpose and meaning. So it's really about how all of these elements come together. So that's definitely something that a book that I would highly recommend uh, people might want to explore if, if you want to think about this issue any further. Um, let me see. So, and oh, and just uh, so people know, so again, that book, it's called Transcend, and the author is Scott Barry Kaufman. Let me see. So then it looks like Kevin here has something to say. Oh, paradox, not Andy yet. <laughs> I would say maybe it's a good question to ask is what is the paradox of work for yourself? Basically, yeah, that's what would be possible. This is basically, I read your chapter seven work as flow, the paradox work, like the example to give. Could it be opposite? What he mentioned in the first paragraph, let's see if one, uh, one work hard, work good in the workplace, maybe sad on the lifestyle. It could it be opposite way, or could it be both. He, this gentleman could, could be uh, in a lifetime, uh, uh, later time and work all, all good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and always I gave you one example, opposite example, let's see. Uh, I got one friend who work accounting, like they just work so hard, you know, it's make, but it feels so tired. It's, that's, it's, it's, if he got a leisure time, beautiful. Yeah, watch his kids play hockey. Yeah, that's me, me. Yeah, and uh, he shared one story. He hired one recently. It's ask one over time, not happy the employee. So he said it's not used to be like, uh, yeah. So I'm going to pause here. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Kevin. I'd like to add one more quick thing before we move on to the next mm -hmm. question. I would just like to propose the thought experiment 
that maybe we don't view it as an either or. Why does it have to be work or leisure? Why can, it, why can that not fade away? If what we're actually seeking is the flow state, maybe you just seek flow state in all your waking hours with zero thought as to whether you find yourself at work or at leisure. Just putting that out there for you guys to ponder. Then why don't we go next to the question about, um, you know, how do you work hard and play hard and be in flow? And maybe think about it through this lens that Maritza is suggesting that there isn't this dichotomy between work and play, but then maybe it's just all flow or that's the goal. <laughs> Uh, let's see, it seems like Jack has something to say for this one. Yeah, again, um, so what Maritz is bringing up is is an amazing point. And I really wish that like we as humans could, I, and I think this gets back to the cultural programming thing. We are just programmed to differentiate those two, right? Um, and it's not, you know, again, it's not an objective thing. It's just something that we're all like, we've kind of been, the idea has been exposed to us. You know, going back to the, the, the you know, towards the end of the chapter where they talks about the parasite or whatever in the mind or, I mean, that's, that's essentially what it is. Like we, you know, we have these ideas of work and leisure and what they're supposed to be and, and how we're supposed to interact with them and things like that. And it, it shouldn't be that way. It should absolutely be, you know, in that we gain enjoyment from as many activities as we can in life. Um, and there shouldn't be this differentiation, oh, I'm not gonna be able to say the word, but you, you guys know what I'm saying. Um, between those two things. Uh, but yeah, so definitely, it's a really good idea. Unfortunately, it's really hard for us to, to apply those. I think it takes time and it takes some, you know, psychic energy uh, <laughs> to focus on those. I'll jump in and say that when it comes to travel, that one of the big questions you will hear, people will ask, are you traveling for business? Or are you traveling for pleasure? And for me, the best trips, the answer is always both. Uh, even if it's not specifically a work trip that the travel is doing something that, you know, inspires or, you know, has relevance to the work that I'm pursuing. And it, it's also fun. Uh, and I always want to make the point to think that, you know, work is best when you experience it as a kind of play. And play is best when there is a sense of purpose and deep meaning behind it. So it looks like Julie has something to say here as well. Julius. Okay, hi. Um, I, I think you could have both. I think that um, we have a really discontent world that's um, originally we're all born in touch with our truth and our purpose and our gifts, but it gets trained out of us somewhere along the way with all these messages. And then we have people who die, realize that they were a lawyer, not for themselves, but for their dad or they everyone's looking outward to, to fix something, you got to wear this to be okay, you got to, all these lies. And, and they're looking outward and they have the more is better, grass is greener syndrome. And they get there and nothing, and they're not happy still. So the reason why these people aren't happy in their jobs is because they aren't doing what they love and they don't know who they are. And that's why, listen to Les Brown on YouTube. Um, he's got quite a movement going of getting people aligned with their passion. 
and uh, and yeah, that and you know Kimura, he does some lectures on Fifty Two Living Ideas, and he talks about the people have you know that eventually they wake up and they start to think for themselves. But our society doesn't teach people to think for themselves. It's about conforming. It's not about celebrating the differences. So we're kind of upside down, and we have. And if you go to Jeff and Joe's, um, they're looking at the future and how we can correct this because time is the hour is late, and we've gotten ourselves in quite a bad shape. So um, there are inspirational things we can do to to get more aligned and and uh, and when you're on purpose, in my opinion, people on purpose are in flow. That's it. They're doing what they love. It's bigger than their fear, and they're in flow. I would agree yeah, that the purpose is one of those necessary conditions for being in flow. Uh, Shay has something to say here as well. Hey, good evening, everyone. Hello. Hi, Shay. Can you hear? Okay, hi. Yeah. Okay, so what I wanted to say is that I think we, um, when I say we as a general we, not, it's not limited just to this group, we are thinking way too much about this uh, work hard, play hard. It's like as if we're trying to convince ourselves if we play, I mean, if we work hard enough, we, we, we will get to play harder. And I think playing is... I don't think it's really playing. To me, it's just living. It's part of living because we were not born to just uh, work. So just to live our lives, it's that's what I call leisure. It's like enjoying life. And while we still have responsibilities, and which is work, and a responsibility should not be should not feel like a chore. We still have, can enjoy it. But I think we just need like a separation from our personal lives in our professional lives. We can definitely be committed uh, at our job, at our work when we are doing it. But once we we off the clock, we can enjoy our lives and play hard or live hard, whatever, whatever you call it. Yeah, thank you, Shay. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Next, it looks like Jyoti has something to say here. This is her question. And then uh, Kevin Ramirez also has something to say. Jyoti first. Okay, Joy. <laughs> I discussed that in my breakout room about the purpose. I have a little problem with that. Um, I understand that in order to seek some kind of a happiness or flow even, uh, you need to have some kind of goal some kind of purpose and and when you're seeking that your path that becomes um, you have a flow in that path i'm a retired individual who worked very very hard i'm the one who who worked hard and i'm playing hard now i don't normally have like a purpose my purpose at this point is to maintain my life Whatever I have achieved, I want to achieve it. I want to maintain it. I don't want that achievement to go away. The maintenance road is little less arduous than the road that I had to take to, be, to get where I am now. Sitting in the park with a book, having a coffee with a friend, looking outside my window, 
and looking at all the seasons and just be in my head for a little bit. Uh, not that I'm not doing other things. I'm a volunteer for the community, for the children and what have you. But I don't think I should have a goal and a purpose. My purpose is to live now. Why should I go away from this purpose and seek another purpose in life to have a meaning in my life? I'm not worried about that. Is there something wrong with that? Sounds to me like you do have a purpose. What is that purpose? To maintain my life as a purpose? It sounds like you're finding your purpose to me. I think what you just said, to, to enjoy your retired life as much as you can. But there's no challenge in it. There's no, there, I, I don't look at it as a goal oriented. It's like, I don't get up in the morning and I say, I have to meet my goal. I come in the living room, I look out through the window, or today is a nice sunny day and I enjoy that. Will you call, call that a goal? I will call that a goal. I'm living in the present. I would say if you're fully immersed in the present moment, then then you then you are then that 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 that's it right that you're you're not distracted you're not burnt out you're you're not overwhelmed you're not overly challenged and you're not you know in boredom or anxiety it sounds like you you found that that sweet spot of of knowing who you are and what you enjoy and being present in that at least that, that's what it sounds like to me here on my end okay i don't miss, think it's my mistake. goal though i i might my, my goal is whatever comes as I move along, not I have a specific goal like I was working, I had a goal. There was a specific goal that I was working for. There was an aim in my life. I had two children, I had a husband. There was some kind of a goal that I was working for. Now, I don't think I have a goal. I'm just, uh, if I, it's a sunny day, I like it. If it's a cloudy day, I still like it. If it's raining, I still like it. So that's not a goal, yes. There's no requirement that states that your goal has to be the same rigidity that it had when you were working perhaps now your goals your goal you don't think about it because it's already set and it's it doesn't it doesn't need to be visited you set the goal that you would not be the same rigid as you were when you worked and now you live in a constant flowing day to day I, I think there's nothing, there's no rule that says goal must look this way. And, and I, go ahead. I would agree. And importantly, I think that our goals do change through different stages of life. I mean, think of what the, the goals of children are and they change rapidly. I mean, the, the goal when you're, you know, just a newborn is, is like completely different from even by time you're five and by time you're a teenager and then by time you're a young adult. And then, you know, I think that is sort of a natural progression of life. There, there is kind of that maybe middle stage of life when you do have all the responsibilities because you're working and you're raising kids and maybe you're also taking care of older parents and, and then you have maybe very, you know, very intense kinds of goals doing all of those things. And then, you know, you reach a different stage of life and the goals can be something different at that stage. I have no goals. <laughs> That's what I'm <laughs> trying to say. That's okay. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the conversation. <laughs> Thank you, Jyoti. Let's let uh, Kevin Kramitin. 
Yeah. Oh, wait, but uh, can I just say, I think I, I slightly screwed this up because we do have two Kevins. So we're going to have Kevin Ramirez go and then the other Kevin as well, I think had a question as well. And I skipped over him. No, oh, I'm sorry. Did, should she go first? Uh, why don't we do Kevin Ramirez and then uh, the other Kevin? Okay. So from what uh, Joy did was just saying, um, it kind of reminds me of my grandpa. Uh, every now and then I get to talk to him and um you know, he, he's, I, I guess you could say at the same place where he's contemplating about life uh, from a different perspective. But I think that the one difference is with purpose and, and, and having accomplished all your goals, what it would be for my, my thoughts. Uh, when I talk to him, I tell him, you know, just from everything that you have learned, everything that you, he's, he's a really wise guy, uh, person, I'm sorry. Uh, and, and I tell him, you know, like uh, usually, well, it has been, I guess, traditionally that elders have a purpose in society. The purpose for elders, once obviously they cannot physically, uh, uh, you know, um, you know, like obviously go to work and, and supply society with a, a physical presence, it's more like a mental presence, um, a spiritual presence, because you have learned such, I mean, to get to that stage in life as an elder, uh, you have seen so much and learned so much that that gets passed on for the younger and the younger to, uh, um, uh, population to, you know, do better. I think that's the purpose usually when you get old, um, not to say that it's a bad thing, it's just it happens to everybody, but, you know, like, and so I tell them that, you know, I would, I, I would tell them, listen, go meet one of those kids outside the street and just talk to them. You have nothing to lose. You have, you have everything to gain because what you can teach that person is gonna ripple through the world. So again, you know, he's, he's in that stage, but going back to um, what uh, I think uh, Jack was saying and the lady, um, Julie, I think too, kind of thing was about the same, uh, had, had the same meanings because uh, Jack was talking about how some people feel like they're slaves to work because of uh, from history known that, you know, sometimes you like, you know, we've, we've worked like constructing the pyramids. We're talking about all this stuff that made sense, you know, and uh, Julie was saying the same thing about society confusing us um, to believe things or to just push us to do things that I guess don't do make uh, some people feel like slaves. Um, that was one thing we were talking about in, in the uh, in the chat room, in the, in the rooms before that, um, you know, uh, to have a boss and a leader is two different things. Uh, nobody likes to be bossed around, but people would, would follow a good leader. Uh, and that I think is part of, of motivation, which I think is one of them. It's one of the things that drives me crazy because that's the one thing that moves everything. Um, everyone, I think, if, if you have a motivation to get up every morning, if you're motivated to get up every morning, uh, if you're motivated to go to work, if you're motivated to do anything after work, uh, it's that spark that I think it's the, the flow, that the spark is what uh, sets the flow. But how, it, and again, like people keep saying, is uh, that purpose, yeah, I guess between a purpose and a motivation is two different things, but I guess that um, what is it that we all have individually that can be, I guess, uh, be uh, put in more like a collective, uh, I guess, uh, stay state, I guess, because, you know, how do you make people move alone for the same purpose with different agendas? I, I, you know, that's, I think, the hard 
part of it, I guess, you know. Um, but yeah, that's what I think. I, I want to chime in just very briefly and quickly here because um, you, you touched upon, Kevin, something that I kind of hold near and dear at the idea that if you wish to change your community, the only and the best way, change yourself. Change yourself, talk to your neighbor, maybe convince them to change themselves and so on, because you cannot change the group by trying to go in and change the group, change yourself. And so you're talking about motivation. This chapter, work as flow, that's what it's all about. Intrinsic motivation means motivation from inside. Start from inside because it's going to come out of you and it's going to spread. And other people are gonna see you and go, he's onto something, I'm gonna do that. And when they pick it up, themselves and they do it for themselves then it's going to spread some more i believe with every fiber of my being that that's the only way true way to change you can't make other people change change yourself move forward with meaning and other people are going to see you and want that and they're going to change themselves Maybe I'm a little bit you know, you, know, you know what I say? I say, do as I say, not as I do. No, but you know what? I, I do agree that the, um, my kids, I know, the, and this is something that I was, I heard growing up, kids are the future. And you're right, the one person that we could talk to our neighbors, we could talk to everybody at our own level, but truly uh, the closest kids that you have talk to them because they are the future and they do even though you might we might think that they don't understand what we're saying just the um the vibes that we give they'll it stays in them subconsciously so um so you're right you know like talking to uh setting the example for the kids usually is the uh, the way to go uh, because again they it's like uh, they say um a wise man plants a, a tree knowing that he won't eat from it I'll jump in and, and just add here when we're thinking about sort of the spiral effect of the individual and the community, that if you need to change yourself, one of the best things you can do is change your group, is to find another group that will inspire you to rise to your best self. I, I even see that that's a huge part of what I believe we're trying to build here with 52 Living Ideas and what Srikant has inspired us all to do as the leader of the group. And now, you know, we're all coming and, and taking leadership in, in different you know, panels and presentations. And I do just want to get back to Jyoti because I see Jyoti come back, showing up consistently, always engaged, always present. That to me, that is the definition of flow. It, when you think about what, what it is to be in flow, sometimes it's easiest to me to think about what it is to not be in flow. And so you can totally imagine the life of a retired person who is not in flow. Just think of all those sad stories of people who are at nursing homes who are literally just sitting in a catatonic state, people who are zoned out as opposed to being in the zone. The, what a flow is all about is to be engaged in the task at hand. So even if that's just 
showing up to 52 living ideas and paying attention. We've talked so much about attention and intention and contributing to the conversation. So I don't know what Jyoti's talking about because I see Jyoti in flow pretty much on a weekly basis at this point. I, <laughs> but I, I, and I am in flow. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to make sure we have just a couple of minutes left and I did skip over the other Kevin. So I want to make sure the other Kevin gets a chance to jump. Thank in. you, Jyoti. Uh, uh, Joya, I'm try to speak quick. And I first are going to hear some good point from, uh, let's see, the, um, the, the flow is the purpose. The progress is could be the purpose. Right? So, and they... Um, sometimes if you go specific meanings and the point of race, the sports, you put a goal, so that's a temporary. So I would say house is the first goal for everyone. The to, to doing that, I would say uh, Jyoti described some beautiful moment. See, can you see the weather? Doesn't matter, sunny or raining. See, all find the beauty. The inside is, is the calm. As you kind of see that, you know, that's obviously that's beautiful flow. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. And I think this conversation is just giving us the perfect segue and setup for the next meeting. So in two weeks from today, we are going to be back to talk about chapter eight, which is all about flow and relationships. And we're going to look specifically at flow in solitude and then flow in, in communities and in groups and relationships. So I hope to see all of you again two weeks from today. I have I, I want to leave you guys with a quote from uh, MC himself. And I think it meshes very well with what um, we've all been talking and discussing here today. The best moments in our lives are not the passive, receptive, relaxing times. The best moments usually occur if a person's body or mind is stretched to its limits in a voluntary effort to accomplish something difficult and worthwhile. So to that end, engagement and concentration are key in achieving flow state. Okay, I meet the criteria then, thank you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Joy and Marissa, you guys. You know, I come here because you guys provide a platform for a complete flow. And same thing with Louis Sullivan. You guys do a great job. And that's why I'm not in a nursing home. I'm here with the 52 ideas. <laughs> so funny. Thank you again. Well, thank you guys. This was lovely. Have a wonderful night. Thank See you. you guys in two weeks. Two weeks. Okay. God bless you. Yes. Okay. See you all Take then. Care. This episode may be done, but you can always find more travel ideas and opportunities at Delve Travel. Just visit delvetravel.com. The adventure continues. Ask me why.